All right, that's enough. Sit down, sit down, sit down. How are y'all doing? Good. Well, I'm glad to be here. Um, the other day, yes, let's see, what is today? Sunday. Friday, I flew to Florida. I did a wedding. I, got, I landed at 12.30. I did a wedding at 5 o'clock and had to drive an hour and 10 minutes to get there. I'm like, Jesus, please don't let this plane be late. I have to be there on time. Well, I'm sitting in the hotel. It's a Hilton hotel. And I'm around the corner, and uh, I hear this humming, humming around the corner. And it's something like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And I said, I know that song. And I was listening, and I thought, oh, my, something in my spirit drew me. And I walked around the other side. Here's this lady. She was from Haiti. And she was just humming. And I said, oh, I started singing to her. Precious is the flow that makes me. People are walking by. They're looking at us and looking at me. I said, I don't care, man. I, I started singing. And she said, come on now. Come on now. <laughs> So after I finished that song, and she was just encouraging me, I said, there is power, power, <laughs> wonder-working power. And he said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I'm like, yeah, amen. We had a little bit of church right there. It was a lot of fun. But I'm glad to be here today, and I just wanted you to know that a stranger came into service, and he asked the pastor, he said, hey, could you pray for my hearing so the pastor placed his hands on the man's ears and his passionate, Holy Ghost, earnest prayer. And so the pastor said, how's your hearing now? And the guy is kind of surprised. He said, well, I don't know. It's not until tomorrow. <laughs> All right, let that sink in a minute. I want to share with you for a few minutes today, because today is a very special day, and thank you, Pastor Troy, for inviting me to share on this uh, momentous occasion where we are going to uh, set in place or set in order Pastor Jeremiah Burris as a Cleveland campus pastor, and I am so blessed to be here for that. So I want to pick up in uh, 1 Samuel 22 and verse 1, if you can follow along on the screen or Open up your Bible to that particular verse. But notice something that David did. He had to leave where he had been, and he ended up or escaped to the cave of Adullam. And where he had been was under the uh, chase of Saul. Saul was trying to kill him, and uh, as a result of of Saul's anger, he had slaughtered all the priests at Nob, and David felt so responsible for that. He ends up in this cave, and the Bible said that when he got there, all of his family gathered to him, surrounded him, and then three groupings of people found him. Debt, people in debt, people in distress, and everybody that was discontented. Now, that's a great congregation, isn't it? Wouldn't you like to pastor that church? And, and David's in there with these three groupings of people, and God showed up in the middle of that. And I, I just want to encourage all of us today that when you are saved, when you are born again, you are an anointed child of God, the enemy is going to chase you. He's going to come to try to steal, kill, and destroy and his goal is to try to defeat you. Now, David had no, there was no reason why David should have been pursued by Saul other than Saul's jealousy. And did you know that the devil has jealousy about us? Because he was banished from heaven. He was the anointed cherub. And here we are stepping in to that place of the anointing now, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And he just does not like you. And he will do everything he can to destroy you. But David was in this place called the cave. It was a lonely place. It was a dark place. 
It was a place where God wanted to meet with him to transform him. And I believe that transformation takes place in the darkest moments of our lives when we are in a place of desperation. Notice something about a cave. Often you'll find that caves in the Old Testament were used, and even in Jesus' situation when he was buried in a cave. I was in that cave. Many of you have gone to Israel and you've walked in that cave. But there was a burial place. But this cave for David was not a prison, nor was it a burial place. The cave for David was a place where he could refocus on the call of God in his life. Sometimes we go through very difficult times in our life. We have situations, circumstances that overwhelm us. We feel as though that we are having no hope and no help. But in those moments, we need to refocus upon the call of God upon our life. And David had to refocus on the anointing of his life. And I'm sure that many times in that cave, he had to go back to the moment when his father, Jesse, called for him from the shepherd field because Samuel had gone through all seven sons and said, not this one, not this one, not this one. And he asked him, he said, do you have any other sons? He said, yeah, I've got one more, but he's out in the shepherd field watching the sheep. He said, bring him to me. In that moment when Samuel had anointed David, he anointed him for his future. He anointed him for the calling upon his life. But from that moment on, he had contention. He had to deal with the enemy who is doing everything he can to stop his progress. Many times we'll find ourselves in those same places. We'll find ourselves being contended for. We'll see the opposition of the enemy that comes against us. But the cave is only temporary. Everybody say it's temporary. The cave was not his calling. The cave was his college. When you are in that dark place, when you're in that moment where things are crashing and collapsing around you, when you start questioning yourself, when you wonder why is the enemy coming after you relentlessly, one thing after another. Have you ever had that happen? It's the car, it breaks down, then the hot water tank goes out, then you lose your job, and then one of your family members gets sick, and it goes on and on, and you think, God, what are you doing? What's going on in our life? It's in those moments we have to realize that the cave is not a burial place. The cave is not a prison. The cave is a place for me to refocus on the anointing of God upon my life and realize that it's not my calling, it's my college. And I've got to listen to the professor, which is the Holy Ghost, because he's about to teach me something and lecture me something that's going to change my life forever. The cave was not his destiny, it was his university. And some of you are in university right now, and you don't like it. I didn't like it either. It was hard. It was difficult. I worked full time. I had three little children, one, two, and four years of age. My wife worked full time. We made hardly no money at all. I went to school full time. I started out at six in the morning and rarely got to bed before midnight. And I was struggling to go through those three years of college education, preparing tests and exams and writing papers and trying to get through these classes because I thought for sure Jesus was going to come back before I graduated and I'd never get to preach. But it was his university. But it's in the in-between times that we learn something. When David was in between his great victories and then his throne, it's where God showed up to teach him about something. See, a lot of us know about the functionality of the kingdom of God. We, we know in theory what it means to be a Christian, and we know in theory 
what the Bible teaches about doctrine. But David needed more than function. He needed an unction. And in the cave is where you learn unction. That the thing is not just about you, it is in you. It becomes who you are because you know you have no other recourse but to allow the Holy Spirit to lift you to another level. I want to share with you three caves, one of which I've already introduced you to, that will help illustrate this in regards to where we're going, not only as a church, but also your campus pastor. Number one is Lazarus's cave. Now, if you read the Bible about Lazarus's cave, you'll find out that he was dead how many days? Four days. Why is that critical? The Bible mentions four days because in the Jewish tradition, three days there was a possibility for resurrection and healing. Fourth day, the rabbis teach it, it was impossible. It was over. There was no hope and there was no help. Jesus waited on purpose to walk into where there was no help and where there was no hope. And if you're sitting here today in a situation where you feel like you have no way out, you're in good hands because that's when Jesus walks into situations. He walked into that situation and he spoke to Mary, he spoke to Martha, and you can look at the dialogue and we're all familiar with it. But what I want to bring your attention to is Lazarus because Lazarus was in the cave. He was lying on a slab. He was cold. His eyes were closed. He was dead. He was wrapped up in grave clothes. He was bound up in grave clothes. Sometimes when we get into a dark place of our life, it's because God wants to deal with the bondages that have been ruining and wrecking our lives. The bondages and those things that have been limiting us, he puts us into the cave because Lazarus was about to be loosed. Some of us are about to be loosed and we don't even know that it's a possibility because we think that we've lived this way all of our life and we're going to die this way. But I've got good news for you. It's not over. And God has a future for you. God has a hope for you. Interestingly, I believe that Lazarus woke up not when he heard his voice. Many teach this, and I probably have preached it myself. Lazarus come forth, and he woke up off the dead and came off that slab. But I believe that Lazarus' eyes popped open. Have you ever seen those movies that startle you when someone's lying there, and they show the close-up, and all of a sudden, the music goes, boing, and their eyes open up, and you're like, oh my gosh, that scared me. Lazarus was laying there dead until Jesus said something. What did he say? He said this, take away the stone. Roll away what's been preventing Lazarus to come to me. Whatever it has been that has blocked him, his bondages, his, his hang-ups, his addictions, his mentality, his mindset has had him captured in the cave, I'm telling you now, roll it away. I think at that moment is when Lazarus woke up. Now, he was still bound with the grave clothes. He was still bound with the things of his past. But it's interesting, when he said, Lazarus, come forth, he came out of that cave bound and sort of like, like, I'm coming, Jesus. I'm, I'm coming. He was alive but still bound. But when the stone was rolled away, it gave him hope and help. And Jesus, the next word that he spoke was, loose him. And they ran over to him and started taking the grave clothes off of him. And he didn't hop around anymore. He went walking and leaping and praising the Lord because he was free. And sometime a cave, a dark place, is to break the bondages that you've learned to live with and learn to have accepted. It was only another chapter later where Lazarus now is at the table ready to dine and Jesus shows up at that house. It's a great story. Lazarus is there eating. 
I think I would have went to that dinner just to see Lazarus eat a hamburger because I know he was dead, but he was raised to life. I think I would have put on the invitations. You're welcome and invited to come and dine with me on Friday at 5 o'clock, and Lazarus, who is dead, will be there too. <laughs> it reminds me of what the psalmist said in Psalm 23. He prepares for me a table in the presence of my enemies. Death had become an enemy. Bondage had become an enemy. Those hang-ups in Lazarus' life had become an enemy. But God prepared a table for him in the presence of those things so that he could dine with the master. You've got quite the future and a great hope that awaits you. The second cave is Elijah. Now, Elijah was a great prophet of God found in 1 Kings 19, verses 9 through 18. But if Lazarus's cave was the cave of freedom, Elijah's cave is the cave of hearing. Because sometimes God has us in these dark places, these moments where we're like contained and isolated and limited, and we think, God, what are you doing? Sometimes you feel like life is collapsing around you. Sometimes you feel as though you're one of those victims that were trapped by the earthquake and all the rumblings, and you're down below, and you can hear the voices of those above, but they can't reach you, and you feel as though your time is about to be like a vapor. This was Elijah. He had seen a great victory on Mount Carmel. And he was on the top of the mountain. And often caves come after we have had great victories. And now he finds himself in a cave because this crazy Jezebel said he was about to die. He was going to be dead. He would be killed. He would be pursued. And so Elijah ran away, found himself in a cave, and here's what we read. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. It's interesting how in those holds, in those caves, in those dark moments, if we'll listen, the word of the Lord will come to us. And he said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? It was not because God wanted to know why he was there. God already knew why he was there. He wanted to know if Elijah knew why he was there. What are you doing there? And he said, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind, a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces. Now, if that were me and I was standing there, I would have said, whoa, man, there's God. But the Bible said that God was not in the wind. And afterwards, there was this great earthquake. Have you ever experienced an earthquake? A shaking of the ground? Over the years here in Ohio, we've had a few here and there. The quake on the lake. You can experience it. It's unsettling. If you've ever seen pictures of it, walls collapse, buildings collapse, roads buckle. And the Bible tells us specifically that when the Lord passed by, he tore into, the wind tore into the mountains, but God wasn't in the wind. And then it says an earthquake came, but God was not in the earthquake. Then he says after that, a fire came and burned up everything. Now, I, I think I would think of the terms of the Acts chapter 2, where the wind of God blew in the upper room, mighty rushing winds, certainly that had to be God. Fire, cloven tongues of fire fell upon each of them. Certainly that had to be God. But here in Elijah's experience in the cave, God was not in the wind, God wasn't in the earthquake, and God wasn't in the fire. What was he trying to teach Elijah? That when you're in a holding place, when you're in a cave, you've got to learn to listen to the still, small voice of God. That cave was a cave of hearing the voice of God. Elijah's the cave of freedom. David, now to recap, as I introduce to you the first Samuel chapter 22 and 1, we now see in verse 5, first Samuel 22 and verse 5, the prophet comes to David and I have to say that the prophetic word will always come to you 
in those moments. And he said this, do not stay in the stronghold. Go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went to Herith. See, David had to find his way out. There was only one door that led out of the cave, and that was the door of praise. Because Judah means praise. See, David's restoration was dependent upon him learning in the cave that his praise is what would sustain him. The prophetic voice spoke, leave this hold. Now, the way out through the door was the worship and praise. Psalm 34 and verse 1. If you could put that verse up there, I want you to read it with me. Ready? Let's read. I will bless the Lord at all times. Stop. I will bless the Lord at. Just right there. Just stop. I will bless the Lord at. David learned something when he wrote this psalm, and he said it like this. I will bless the Lord at the doctor's office when I get the diagnosis. I will bless the Lord at the funeral home when I say goodbye to my loved one. I will bless the Lord at the scene of that accident. I will bless the Lord at all times. Everybody say times. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 2 and 8. There is a time to be born and there is a time to die. There is a time to plant and there's a time to pluck up. There's a time to break down and there's a time to build up. There's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to get and there's a time to lose. In other words, David said, I will bless the Lord at no matter where I am all times or no matter what season I'm in. He came out of that cave different than he went in. Now, may I remind you, this was David the psalmist who on the the Bethlehem's hills side watching his sheep wrote many of the psalms and was a praiser and was a blesser but when he came out of this cave he went to a whole new dimension in praise he went to a whole new dimension of worship unto the Lord that's why he said I will bless the Lord at wherever all times no matter what season I'm in and then he said this his praise shall what be continually where in my mouth if you don't have praise, shh, don't say nothing. Don't say another word. If you can't praise him, shh. Can you imagine? We're all at Walmart, and I see you, and you see me, and we're like, I will bless the Lord at Walmart. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Hey, how you doing? Wow, blessing is the flow. That makes me white as snow. I said, Lord, I'm a little embarrassed to sing this right here in front of all these people at the hill. They're all dressed up looking really fine. But there's something in me that's taught me that the voice of praise is the door of my victory. And we sang a duet. I might say her voice was much better than mine. But it made her smile when I sang and she made my heart glad when we worshiped together. You see, the cave of David was a place where he learned to go to a higher realm. And I have to say this. If you stay in the cave, if you stay in the hold, you'll never be crowned king. And some of us are comfortable to stay where we've been. You know, it's not easy to lift your family, pull up your roots, load up a U-Haul, and drive to Texas. But there's a throne 
there is a throne. And sometimes you think, well, if I'm in this place where I have been in bondage, if I've been there where I didn't recognize the voice of God, if I've been in that place where I didn't see it as my college, I, did, I didn't see it I, I didn't see it as my university. I didn't, I didn't know I needed the unction. Then there is no throne experience. And without your throne, there's no rulership. And without your rulership, there's no liberty for the people. And so I have to say this to you, Jeremiah. You're entering into a new realm today a realm that has taught you well to prepare for this moment. The realm that has prepared you to ascend to a throne called the Cleveland Campus Pastor. And if you would join me on the platform, please, I would appreciate it because you have great vision this young man, if you haven't met him on this level, can take a mediocre sermon like mine, take a snippet from it, gloss it up, put some captions on it, put some pumping music to it, and make me sound really good, man. Thank you for that. You know why? Because he's got vision. He's got vision. He can see what people need to see before they see it. He can, he can put together a script, a, a, a poster. He has this vision. He, he's taken our DSM students, and he doesn't see them where they are. He sees them where God's taking them. He has great vision but because of your great vision you have to be connected to a great anointing so I share this with you in closing Samson I like to call him Sammy was a man of strength and wisdom he was a Nazarite from birth, actually in his mother's womb. He separated himself unto the works of God until Delilah one day talked him into revealing his secret of his strength. And the secret of his strength was in his Nazarite vow, which was seen by his hair, which had never been cut. When his hair was cut, suddenly the anointing lifted from him, and he became like other men. That's what the Bible says. And the Philistines came upon him and arrested him. They made sport of him and tied him to a millstone, grinding out grain. But before they did that, they did something else with him. How many remember in the story what they did? Pastor Troy, would you join me here on the platform, please? I'm going to ask him to be Samson. Great strength, wisdom, anointing, killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Now in prison, blinded. What's interesting about this on the platform today of great vision and great anointing is that they have to come together. Let's go to the story. Samson's in prison and he's blinded, so he now is unable to see. And the Philistines say to a young man, Go and get Samson. Bring him into our place of worship because we're going to be entertained by him. So the young man walks over in obedience, finds Samson, and brings him 
into the Philistines' place of worship. But on the way there, Samson whispers to the lad, and he tells the young man, when you bring me into the temple, place my hands upon the pillars that hold up the building. And the lad did so. Now I need two pillars. Dominic, you're a pillar. Come on. Come on, you're another pillar. Come on up here. And I need one pillar here. And I need one pillar here. And Samson is going to place his hands on the pillar. But he is not able to accomplish his anointing and his strength without vision. Vision could not accomplish what's about Samson's about to do without his anointing and strength. But when vision brought in the anointing to the temple, the two of them together, face this way, put your hands on him, are now able to destroy more Philistines in his death than he had in his entire life. Come on, somebody. You need to praise God right there. So Samson took the pillars and he prayed, Almighty God, restore unto me your anointing because I can now see in the spirit what I could not see in the natural because you have brought to me a gift to show me what I can do through the anointing. And he pressed on the pillars and they fell off to the side and the temple came down. That's what the anointing will do with this campus pastor and this lead pastor. Vision and anointing working together will see great victories in the earth. So I'm gonna, so we're gonna, we're gonna close with this, but um, I'm gonna ask the family to come up, all the family to come up. I, you know, all through the Bible, um, whenever, whenever a patriarch and a matriarch were present, there was always the pursuit of an impartation. And I think, I, th I feel like we're in one of those right now. And we should probably pursue them with more diligence moving forward. Elijah understood this principle. And Elijah knew that if he would pursue an impartation, then he could receive a greater portion of the presence of God than, the, than what he came from. And so I want to invite you to stand. And I just feel like God in this moment, and the worship team can come, and I feel like God in this moment wants to give an impartation to those that want to pursue it. And so if, if you feel like God's calling you, I just want to call you to the altar right now. Because there's about to be an impartation that's going to take place from the platform, from mom and dad. And it just, it just moves down through. And I just want to encourage you, come on. This impartation 
presence. The succession of presence. It only can take place by honor. Because none of us, you know, none of us are entitled to the presence. Aaron's sons, they were the sons of Aaron, but they, they didn't receive the priesthood. They dishonored. And the way you receive an impartation is by pursuit, is by placing value on the presence that's on the person. I see the presence I see that presence and Elijah said I see that presence I want more of that on me and I feel like that's about to take place right now I see that presence and I want more I want more for me and for my children and if you feel that just come in just come in just circle around and I have a Bible Where's my Bible? I need my Bible. Yeah, I gotta read. I have a Bible down there. Oh, there it is. So we're gonna we're gonna pray for Jeremiah and bless him. And I just want to invite you to extend a hand here. And if I can get my connection pastors to come up here, all the pastors, all the pastors come up. Pastors come up. Just Jeremiah, come stand right there. Mom and Dad, if you could just Pastor Dom, come. And I, these words, I want to, it's got oil, anybody got oil? Oil, oil. I'm going to read from, from Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4 it starts and says the word of the Lord came to me saying before I formed you in the womb I knew you before you were even born I sanctified you I ordained you a prophet to the nations and Jeremiah said Lord I'm just just young but God rebuked him and said don't say that for you shall go to whom I send you and whatever I command you you shall speak do not be afraid of their faces for I am with you to deliver you says the Lord then the Lord put forth his hand believe his hand joins us today as we anoint Jeremiah and it touched his mouth and it said Lord behold I put my words in your mouth see I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root and to pull down to destroy and to throw down, to build, and to plan. Today we consecrate and anoint and appoint according to the direction of the Lord. We declare the blessing of heaven be upon you. Preach the word with power and conviction. We bless you today. We command all of hell to stand down at the word of the Lord in your mouth. Declare you are blessed every every place your step takes, you possess all for Jesus. 
And I just want to release the, the pastors and elders to just go down and just begin to declare an impartation from the platform to all of Israel. Come on, pastors, if you just go down, just begin to anoint. Declare an impartation. Declare an impartation today in Jesus' name. Greater, we declare greater presence, tangible increase in the presence of God upon your people today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord gave me a word for you as I was sitting there. I've heard this several times. And I might have even talked to you a little bit about this. You know, God is so generous. You know, he's a God of gifts. We're moving into an hour in the body of Christ where we need the five-fold ministry to come forth in its fullness. But God says he's given you double. He's given you double for your trouble. He's given you double for your trouble. I'll say it again. He's given you double for your trouble. Today we're acknowledging the pastoral, but you're not just a pastor. You're also a prophet. It's not easy to walk in that gift mix because when you walk in that gift mix, at times it's going to be confusing, but you can do it because God anointed you to do it and the scripture was just read, God put the word in your mouth when you were a child. And to back up on the word that came forth today, you were, you, your mother carried you in the cave. She carried you in the cave, in the secret place. And when she brought you forth, it was to God's glory. It was to God's glory. It's not a, unusual that the enemy would try to take you out a whole bunch of times, sometimes we don't even know about. Just you and God know that he saved you. But you are to walk in the fullness of those two gifts. So sometimes you're gonna have to correct like a prophet. People don't like that side of it. They don't wanna be corrected, but it's okay. You already walked in it. You already been doing that. That ain't nothing new. God doesn't ever really acknowledge anything until you've already walked in it for a while. You've already walked as a pastor. You've been doing that probably, I don't know, since you were young. Because God called that to you. But I feel today, we have to see that. So when we see you step forth in correcting and warning and giving people words that they may not want to hear because everything a prophet going to say is not always going to make us feel happy. Just not. That's why he said, be not afraid. Be not afraid of the faces. And you got a support system here. God placed a supernatural kind of support system because we're older, but we know the tenderness of your youth. Glory to God. But we're not getting in the way of God because God got to do what he got to do. And it's not about us and it's not about you. But you are here to give him the honor and the glory and to usher the fivefold. Because as we prepare for the vision of the house, for the 30,000 that are coming, we need the fivefold. We can't just do it with an evangelist. We can't just do it with a prophet. We cannot just do it with a pastor. We cannot just do it with a teacher. We need the fivefold. And as we do that, 
we are going to submit under the mighty hand of God. And when we submit under the mighty hand of God, this is the fivefold. I'm going to just do this real fast, okay? This is the apostle. The apostle touches everything. The thumb. This is the prophet, the evangelist with the outreach. The ring finger is the pastor. And the baby finger is the teacher. Clean out that ear so we can hear. When we submit under the fivefold, he will exalt in due season. He's going to use you in a mighty way. He's already used you in a mighty way. It's almost unbelievable the things he's done through you. But be ready. Be ready. I'm not saying no get ready because I'm not no, um, I'm not no kind of trying to duplicate a T.D. Jakes, you know. I'm saying be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Because God is taking you higher and higher. Pastor Dom, if you can come, and uh, Pastor Emily, come, and I think it, it would be good for mom and dad. We're just going to bless you guys in their next amazing appointment as senior pastors down in Texas. So I, think, I feel like it's appropriate to just to bless them and send them with the blessing of heaven. So. Come on, stretch a hand out to Pastor Dom and Emily. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, that it's time. As the prophetic came to David, the prophetic voice has come to Dom and Emily and said, Go to Abilene. Abilene will be a place that God will provide for you supernaturally, spectacularly in superior form father we bless them today and we say as they go let them go with faith and confidence father you prepare the way god you said in isaiah 62 and 10 to prepare the way of the lord remove every obstacle out of the way and i pray god that they would have a clear path clear path and Father, we speak right now. We speak, oh God, to Riley and Judah and to Jackson and to those that may follow. We say this family is blessed. 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 And the anointing will be rich. Many are waiting on your arrival. They're waiting. Not that your father couldn't reach them, but this is your season now, and they're waiting for you to get there. And when you come, they're coming. <laughs> when, when you come, <laughs> they're coming. So get ready for that. I see like a wagon train crossing the prairies with hope of getting to California, hope of getting to Abilene, hope of getting to Fountain Gate, hope of getting there. They're coming. They're on a journey. They've been on a journey. And they're on their way. I'll just declare in Jesus' name, Pastor Dom and Emily, there is greater anointing upon you than there is upon me or upon mom and dad there's a greater anointing the spirit of elijah rests on you and there is so much more that he has and we just declare it and release it today in jesus name we release it over pastor jeremiah today we declare there is a greater anointing that is upon you than even i or mom and dad and we declare over your families today church on the north coast there is a greater anointing you deserve 
more. You have more. We declare an impartation of more of the presence of the King Jesus upon your life, for your children, for your future. There is a hope and there is a promise that belongs to you. And we declare there is so much more that God wants to do. He's not done. We thank you for the impartation of this moment today, that today will be marked on the calendar and we will not forget this was the day the mantle fell upon me I declare come on with me just lift your hand and just ask for the mantle I ask for the mantle to fall upon me today God I ask for the mantle to fall upon everyone that's present here today that wants it by faith we declare your presence in greater portion over them and their family you are watching over your word to perform it God it is not by accident that we are here today you brought us to this moment to release your powerful presence to us and to our children on purpose in greater portion we bless your name today and we receive the impartation it says it was like oil upon the head of Aaron and it came down and it went all through his garments I pray it fall upon each of your heads today the oil of God's presence get in every crack and crevice of every family every issue every everything every dark corner soak the fabric of our families with your presence God break every curse rebuke every enemy now in Jesus name and all of God's people declare amen Amen. Can you give the Lord a great big shout and a hand clap? Amen. So as we depart, I want to say live right, love everybody, and pray hard. But as we do, thank you, sir. Thank you so much. I almost lost my word. As we depart, Dr. Tanya will have, she'll be in the foyer. Dr. Tanya will be in the foyer, and she will be there and be available for anybody who desires a word from the Lord in this season. God bless you.